Good morning, folks. Just want to give you a heads up this morning that you're going to get more than you bargained for. You thought that it's a standard Sunday morning, you'll come and just sit in, listen and sing and stuff. But no, uh, a bit later on, we're actually going to break into small groups to pray. Uh, it says in Acts that the apostles devoted themselves to the studying of the word and to prayer. We're actually going to do that today. We're going to read the Bible and we're going to pray. So I want to give you the heads up so that later on when it happens, you're not like, oh, freaking out. You know, it's, I warn you, warning, warning. There is participation this morning with people who are around you. Maybe you can smell them. Maybe you've heard them. And soon you'll get to share with them rather than looking anyway. You get more than you bargain for. Who's ever gotten more than they bargain for? I have. Lots of times. More than you sign up for, you realise, I didn't know I signed up for this. This, I think, is the story... How's that sound? Is that a little bit... Is it all right? Okay. Um, To be a Christian, I think, to follow Jesus, we actually don't realise what we sign up for. When I was... I work as a school chaplain... And one of the things that we do as chaplains, uh, and we're actually going to, let me back up a little bit. Now I'll tell the story first because otherwise it's really disjointed. Uh, we go on holiday camps. And so this would have been my first or second camp in September, probably 1999 or 2000. And as a leader on camp, you run a small group. That's okay. But then when we got to camp, we discovered that there were far more girls than there were boys, and we had plenty of bloke leaders than girl leaders. So my very first experience of being a small group leader on a camp was a group of about eight girls. I was like, I I didn't sign up for this. I didn't have daughters at this stage. I didn't have children. So girls were a little bit... I mean, anyway, it was freaking me out that I was going to have to lead this group of girls. I soon found out that girl groups are the best groups when it comes to leading and facilitating because they talk. All you need to do is just be like a rudder on it. It just goes, this boat just goes. And you're just like, oh, yeah, okay. Girls just don't, so you don't have to drive it. With blokes, you got to, come on, boy. You need Anyway, a lot harder working with boys than it is girls. But anyway, I didn't realise that that's what I'd signed up for, but nonetheless, that's where I found myself. And therefore, when you find yourself in a place where you are just not ready for, that's when our faith is stretched, our lives are changed and stretched, and that's the colour of living, and that's the Christian life. Today, we'll be a little bit stretched. Today, we're going to get more than we bargained for. Um... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, prayer. So I didn't realise, but yesterday was the National Day of Prayer. Did you know that? All across the country yesterday was a National Day of Prayer for praying for all sorts of things. But SU Queensland, I work for Scripture Union Queensland. They employ, they do all sorts of stuff in Queensland. One of the biggest, I guess, missional aspects of what SU does is employs school chaplains right throughout the state. Actually, in Um, Canberra as well. The ACT chaplains are administered by Queensland. And so we we are about to encounter a pretty challenging time, SU, at the moment. The government has, for the last 10 years or more actually, uh, politicians have listened to their constituents and they have supported 
federal funding or funding for chaplains in schools. And this has not been a simple thing. There has been um, constant threat and challenge for this funding, for there to be chaplains in schools. I don't know if you're aware, just think about what a phenomenal thing it is for chaplains to be in schools. We are an increasingly secularised pagan culture. We very quickly, as an Australian Western culture, are moving away from a Judeo-Christian ethic. I think the church largely is still safe and secure in our walls, but generally speaking, but we are losing, losing, losing. This is the, the, the trend that our culture in Australia is going. You can see that pretty clearly. And yet in the middle of that, we have favour at the highest levels for there to be in schools people who are Christians, who represent a network of the local body of Christ who want to access the schools and serve their communities. And in fact, the government is funding that. They want that to happen. There is a huge threat and challenge over that. Well, tomorrow, our CEO, Peter James, flies to Canberra and for this next week, he's going to be lobbying politicians to see that funding continue. The funding cycle runs out at the end of this year. So that is in May when Malcolm Turnbull sits down with his small group of people to look at, of all the things that want funding, what are we going to give money to? Because that's what they'll be doing in May. They make a decision at that point on what they're going to fund. If chaplaincy doesn't receive more funding, it will, it will more than half, it will be, it will be tiny because most chaplaincy services rely upon the government funding. Just so you know. So it's a pretty cool week and, and one of the things that we might pray for later is for SU and for chaplains if that, if that's okay. Um, it is okay because it's going to be up on the slide. <laughs> so we'll pray about that. But actually what you pray about will be up to you. Um, so I want to do a very quick rip through post-Christ's death and resurrection. We know the story. We've just had communion this morning of when we remember Jesus on the cross. You know the story that followed that then he came back to life and for 40 days he still sort of lived and worked amongst the guys, sometimes appearing. He was in this kind of weird place of he was with them and then he wasn't for about 40 days. And then they all... Um, went out to the mountainside and Jesus went up in front of them and he went into heaven. He went into heaven. I'm not <laughs> That's one for you, Jono. Jesus went into heaven and the disciples were there looking up and an angel stood with them and said, what are you doing? This Jesus who you saw will return as is. Now remember what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, don't go anywhere, go back into Jerusalem, don't go anywhere until I come to you, I send to you the counsellor who I've promised. So they go back into Jerusalem and they're freaking out. And has anyone seen the movie, what's it called? You know, it's the story of the centurion, Risen. Anyway, so if you see the story Risen, a little bit about what that is, is when the disciples were kind of meeting around in fear for their lives because their leader had been taken from them. So what followed was that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost 
and God poured out his spirit upon the people. And literally on that day, the apostle Peter stood up and he preached. And on that day, in their midst, there was more than 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. And then in the days following that, the church just exploded as people were amazed. And it was a time when it wasn't just the normal Jerusalem. People were in Jerusalem from all different parts of the world. You can see God's strategy here. This happened at a time when people from all over the, the then known world would come to Jerusalem on pilgrimage and they were hearing this amazing thing. They got to hear about Jesus at that time. And of course, many people didn't really go back to where they'd come from. They hung out in Jerusalem because it was so exciting. We haven't seen here, not certainly in my lifetime, such a level of revival and, and spiritual religious breakout where it's just people are all in the communities just pumped and coming to faith and, and the Bible describes, early Acts describes the type of um, circumstances that people were in. People were gathering every day in the temple in Jerusalem. They were sharing their money, their food, their households with each other. Everyone had any, everything in common. It was just a tremendous time of joy, of celebration, of learning, uh, of sharing the story of Jesus who had only just weeks ago been here. Like it was, I'd, I'd, we'd have to really sit and think and imagine yourself in that environment to, to get a taste of the enthusiasm. It, literally, the enthusiasm, the breathing in of the Holy Spirit, the enthusiasm that was going on in Jerusalem at that time. So that brings, we're, we're racing through the early stages of Acts here. There was a great deal, the church was flourishing and they were, where were they meeting? They were meeting in the temple. They were meeting in the temple. So as all of this is going on, there are the leaders of the people and we'll say the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the ruling council of the, the religious council of the people. They were made up the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the chief, the priests were a part. I don't know if they were part of the Sanhedrin, but they were involved in the Sanhedrin. And these are the people who hated Jesus. These are the people that even broke their own laws to ensure that they could just kill Jesus and end what he was doing. They were also in Jerusalem at this time. And they were, as much as the Roman Romans were the political rulers of Jerusalem and all Israel at the time, it was still the Jews still got to effectively run their own show in a way. The temple was still happening and these, this Sanhedrin, this ruling council, were in charge and Jesus came and he just shook all of their understanding of God and the world. He shook all that to their, its foundations. He destroyed it, actually, and so they destroyed him. You can read about this in Acts. Um, they wanted... And so, therefore, when his followers... Uh, now there's this enormous surge. And if Jesus, if they were worried when the whole city went out to see Jesus come in riding on a donkey, do you remember this? They were freaking out. They said, this is getting us nowhere. We've got to knock this guy off. So then when um, later on his followers, this is going even bigger, thousands and thousands are not just gathering around, but they're gathering in the temple. They're doing all these things. They're like, we have got to end this. And so they grabbed this guy named Stephen. I don't know, are we there yet? We'll get there. 
They grab this guy named Stephen. And Stephen, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Now Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. He did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Wherever the Lord would do work, and it's most clearly with Christ, but it happens still today. Wherever God is, God's kingdom is coming, wherever there is work in Jesus' name, there will always be opposition. And very often it will come from those who have something to lose, and that is very often power. People who are in power. We're all like this. This is a human thing where we feel like we are being offended or impinged on or our our sense of control is being shaken, we start to freak out and we start to wonder about ways, we think and reason about ways that I can regain my control. It might be control of our temper. It might be control over something that's going on at work. But this is the way that our world in this broken world works, is that whenever power is challenged... um, the people who are in that in power and control freak out. This is exactly what's going on when God came to earth for, as a little child. Herod, who heard about this king being born, wanted him killed. When the kingdom of God comes to earth, power and control will seek to destroy it in order to maintain the status quo. And as much as we can't stand the Sanhedrin and we read about what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did, they were really doing just what people do. They were really just doing what human beings do and it's in all of us, this same sort of, what will I do to regain my hold over things? This is what happened. And so they arrest Stephen. He's doing all of this great stuff. They arrest him and they bring him before the council And then he has a chance to speak. And in Acts chapter 7 is pretty much all of Acts chapter 7 is Stephen giving his speech to the Sanhedrin, to the ruling council. Give a reason of why you are doing this sort of stuff. And so Stephen gives them a crash course of what they already knew of the Old Testament. This is God's law. This is the law that you have the job of upholding and keeping and and maintaining order through this law. And Stephen is preaching to them something that they're like, yes, we get that. But then he turns it. Then things go very poorly when Stephen reveals to them, as Jesus did, revealing to people what's truly there. And in Acts chapter 7, this is all by way of context. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen's talking to them and he says, you stiff-necked people... With uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers, the generations previously. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. They could recite it, they knew it, but they couldn't and did not obey it. And when they heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now this is complete blasphemy to them. And they were so ruled with... with um, absolute venom and I want to say terror, but it's not terror. They just wanted him dead. And at this they covered their ears, 
yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him outside and started throwing stones at him, which was a way that they would kill people in those times. If you were Jews, you were stoned to death. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Sound familiar? As Jesus is hanging on the cross, Father, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sound familiar? Jesus on the cross saying, Lord, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And in 8 chapter 1, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. As, as all this is going on, there's a leader there, an influential man, in the, and he is blessing the killing of Stephen. On that day, this is chapter 8, verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having your front door kicked in? Someone coming in, grabbing you and taking you off to prison? Imagine the trauma that would be going on for your family. Imagine the challenge and the trauma that would be going on for your wider church family. This was one man, very zealous, and he was going from house to house, dragging people out into the street and filling the prisons with the Christians who only days before were celebrating and enjoying one another's company in the temple courts. Interestingly, Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And all except the apostles, they are the Jesus' tight followers, his little band, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Came at the cost of, this is a little aside, came at the cost of Stephen's life, but the mission of God, the intent of God, was not that they would hang out in the temple courts and rub each other up and down and say, oh, I love you, isn't it good to be loved and fiddle around with each other? It was good, but that wasn't the mission of God, that wasn't their intent. So the Lord released the ruling council to kill and murder, to drag them into prison, and what did they do? They went out to fulfil the mission that God had set for them. God forced his people out. I don't know, that's an aside. Not really the point of what I'm getting at, but I think it's cool. Meanwhile, chapter 9 in Acts. Meanwhile, Saul... If you've got your Bibles, grab, open it up to Acts. I'm reading it, but you can read along. What's up on the screen is later. We're going to get to that. But that's going to be a big, long chunk that we read in Acts 22. But right now, um, we're in Acts chapter 9... Verse 1, so Saul is dragging people out, putting them in prison. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is, that's the early church, were known as the people of the way, which is cool because Jesus said, I am the way. So the people of Jesus were known as belonging to the way. 
whether men or women, Saul might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Do you think he was the chief priests liked Saul? Saul was a rising star. They loved him. A little bit in, in Acts, there's a, there's a teacher who, who stands up after, or it's, he's, who stands up and his name is Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was one of the great and most respected teachers of the Pharisees, of the people of the time. And Saul was like a disciple of Gamaliel. He'd learnt, he'd learnt his trade, he'd learnt the law under Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was actually quite a wise man who said uh, when Peter and John were arrested, I keep diverting, but you really need open Acts and read it. It's an outstanding story. They should get that on Netflix. They should make the story of Acts into a Netflix, ep- you know, anyway. Um, so Gamaliel actually stood up and said, listen, let's not let these men go. Let, let's not kill more of these people. If they aren't of God, you know, previously when great leaders have claimed to be something and we killed them, their followers were scattered. They went nowhere. And he said, we've killed Jesus. If these are his followers, he'll scatter. They, they're going to scatter. We don't need to worry about them. But if they're not, and if they are from God, then you, you're wasting your time. It's of God and you're going to be fighting against God. Gamaliel was quite, he, he spoke well there. I don't know where he is and what's going on now. But nonetheless, Saul studied under Gamaliel and he was a big, uh, he was a rising star of the chief priests. When he asked for letters, I want to go to Damascus. I want to go into another land and grab the people. I want to chase them. They've, they've gone out from Jerusalem and I want to go after them and I want to grab them and I want to bring them back here. So desperate was Saul to kill the people of Jesus. And so, yep, sure, here's your letters, go. And Saul is, in verse, cha- in verse 3 of chapter 9, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul then had an experience of Christ and then he became obedient to the call of God on his life and away he went. And Saul spent, I'm not sure how many years, I didn't look all that up, but Saul spent what might have been decades then doing what God had put his hand to do, doing what God had commissioned him to do. Saul's name, very name changed to Paul. And so Paul now, his very identity torn from where he was but still, you know, there, he as became not a persecutor and killer of Christians, became a disciple of Christ and a, a builder of Christians. An enormous turnaround. And so then Paul went about getting busy with what God had called him to do. And he, he went on ships, he went by foot, he met with in the synagogues, which is the Jewish places of meeting, and he gave his life, he devoted his life to teaching people that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus is the fulfilment of all the law and all of history prior to that, that Jesus had what's come from God and that Jesus was the answer for God's salvation of the entire world and people would come to faith and they would believe and the church would grow and Paul would train the leaders, the church leaders. And so Paul was going out who had once hunted churches were now going and planting churches. 
That's amazing. What had happened to Paul? What does it take for any man or woman to become the complete opposite from what they were before? How does that happen? Thank God for Tony Robbins. No, not really. It's got to be more than just thinking better. But that's what Paul's story was. And his story, we're going to get to his story to tell, but he went out and everywhere he went, if you read through the next dozen or more chapters of Acts, it's the story of Paul and his mission. His mission, he has been now given an assignment by God and off he goes to fulfil that and he devotes his entire life to it. He experiences, now what did I say before, and you can see it, it's the constant theme, wherever the kingdom of God is at work, there is always opposition. And opposition will most often come from those who have the most to lose, those in power. And everywhere Paul went, and not just Paul, but Silas, Barnabas, Timothy, anyone who went with Paul, Luke, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who was a doctor and a great one for journaling. I think Luke was a journaler because he, he took a record of what was going on. Paul had these followers that went with him, followers of Christ, who went missionaries together. And Paul would stand and he would destroy the arguments of those in power. Those that would come against him to argue against him, he could prove left, right and centre the, the true nature of who Jesus is and that God had come to change the world. And so whether it be um, people who risk losing their livelihood because other, um, the general population weren't buying their idols anymore in Ephesus or whether it be the Jewish leaders in different towns as it most often was, those that, whose power base was now being shaken because Paul's teachings was turning people's minds and their hearts to God. So they came after Paul. Paul became quite comfortable with having his life threatened. He became, well, I couldn't say personally, I don't know if he was comfortable with it. I wasn't chatting with him at the time. He hasn't told me that. But he became used to it, I would imagine. It was a common thing for Paul. So he was carrying out and fulfilling the call of God, but always with threat all around him. And you can read the story for yourself. And the time come came that Paul wanted to return to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a hotbed. Jerusalem still is today. It is a hotbed of trouble, of argument and of tension. And Paul wants to go back to Jerusalem. There's probably many reasons why Paul wanted to go back to Jerusalem. He was probably called there by God, but it was also the place that he grew up. I'd like to think, and I don't think I could escape it, that if I was to go off around the world and do fun things and have fun, this would always be home. I'd always want to come back to Pine Rivers. So much of my story, my identity, everything is bound up here. So Paul is coming back to Jerusalem, even as his friends say, that is a bad call, Paul. They were right. Nonetheless, he went. Rightio. So Paul comes back to Jerusalem and he actually, in order to try and appease and, and not come bringing any trouble, he makes a vow with some, some other blokes and they, they, they adhere very carefully 
to the law of, I shouldn't say the law of Israel, but the law of Moses and the things and, and also the laws that had been added to that, um, Paul is going to stick to that so he can prove I'm not here to cause trouble. I'm not wanting to cause trouble and I'm going to do it. He goes into the temple and he's doing everything right, but he's recognised by people who are fed up with the trouble that Paul has caused in other places, well, the Holy Spirit has caused. And so they, they stir up trouble against Paul and he gets arrested. Was not doing anything wrong. Paul was completely innocent. It's important to understand that because the rest of his life plays out now after he is arrested at this time. Paul will spend much of the, re- well, pretty much all of the rest of his life now under guard, arrested or in prison. Because these people didn't care whether he was, what he was doing, they just wanted him gone. So he gets arrested. And he comes and, and, and he gets to speak to the crowd. There's this massive riot. The Romans come down, they grab him, they arrest him, they bring him out, and he convinces them to speak to the crowd. And now let's go to Acts chapter 22. That can be up on the screen. Thanks, Thea. Here we go. Paul, speaking to the Jews, says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. He was speaking to them in a language they understood. When they heard, yeah. Then Paul said, verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them in prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished." You're standing here today. You wrote me the letter. No one can deny that I was zealous for killing Christians. But about noon, as I came near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Where are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. So my companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Is that where we're up to? 
Okay, now we're going to keep going. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Is that it? So, and then what happened immediately after that is when those people, those power bases, they listened to him intently. Why did they listen to him? He was telling them his own personal story. He was telling them, and we read it that little bit earlier in Acts chapter 6, he was just telling them, what, this is my story. This is what I've been up to. This happened to me and you were all witnesses of it. They're happy to listen to that. But when he said that God sent me to the Gentiles, oh, they got upset because the Gentiles are unclean and the kingdom of God is for the Jewish people. Their rigid understanding of God was so set. Just like when Stephen said, you've killed all the prophets, they lost the plot, they lost their temper, broke their own laws and killed Stephen. So just when Paul said, God said to me to go to the Gentiles, just telling his story, they grabbed him and they were ready to kill him, but he was saved because he was under arrest and they pulled him back in. The rest is history. Saul had been, Paul had been sent as a witness to the Gentiles. Stephen stood and witnessed to the people. And from generation to follow, the kingdom of God would go out at the hands and through the mouthpieces and at the feet of witnesses to God. And all people did and have done was to witness to what has happened in their own life, to witness what, has, what God has done in them. That's all Paul was doing then. He was simply telling a story from his own life. When he was in Europe, and actually all of Europe, really, and a big part of Asia can thank Paul's obedience to the assignment of God on his life, his obedience to that assignment led to the growth of the church in Europe and in Asia. That's phenomenal. And I would also say as a result of the death of Stephen, because then the people went out. And everywhere Paul went, he could meet with believers because there was churches established. Pretty awesome, don't you think? His witness came, cost him his life, but Stephen was ready to die, to be faithful to the power that God had enacted in his life. Stephen was a changed man and his life became all about keeping, keeping faith with God's call on his life. The same with Paul. It was simply his story of keeping faith with what God had called him on his life. And the same thing has happened for generations to come and I would suggest the same is of you and I today. All of this actually took place roughly 1,900 years ago. People have been losing and are continuing to lose their lives today. They are continuing to lose their livelihoods. They're losing reputations because at the, at the, at the 
frustration of the power base because they are choosing to keep faith with the assignment that God's given them for their life. This is actually what we've signed up for as Christians. This is the normal working out of faith. And it might not be the case here in Australia, though it is changing. We're getting there. Our world's working hard. But in other places in the world, I actually imagine today, imagine just being picked up and and landing in somewhere like Damascus now, the middle of Syria. Imagine that. All over the world, people just like us, who've heard the story of Jesus in someone's life and then responded themselves, who've received the Holy Spirit, who has changed their life, are now being, the words persecuted, we throw that around too easy, but they're being, their livelihoods, they're being misrepresented, they're being lied, they're being betrayed, they're being killed, they're losing their jobs. It's happening right now. This is our world today. And so now we're going to have a time of prayer. I'd encourage you to read the story of Acts. Spend a couple of days just reading the book of Acts and read it like a story. It's kind of written that way. And get a handle on the nature of being of the Christian world. In the earliest of days, get a handle on the nature of being a follower of Jesus. It is a phenomenal adventure. I don't know if Paul knew what he signed up for. Pretty sure he didn't, but he was obedient to the call. That's the invitation to us. And so now I thought we might, in the minutes that remain, for the next 15, 20 minutes, we might pray together in church. So... How about we do this? We have about two minutes, not even one minute, probably enough, to arrange yourselves in small groups of four to six roughly people. Would you do that now, please?